at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. What is up, everyone? We are recording our first episode of Unpeeling Syracuse Basketball, a Talk in Orange podcast. We are here as a new addition to the Troy Nunes is an Absolute Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dylan Finer, and with me today is my co-host, Bobby Manning. We'll be breaking down the week in Syracuse basketball, talking news, breaking down Syracuse's games, looking at the upcoming week, and more. Without further ado, let's talk orange. All right, so we're going to be breaking down the Syracuse basketball stories from this past week. Um, we're we're going to be looking at what happened over the course of the week, uh, just news and stuff going on before we start breaking down the games. Uh, so first we have uh, Tyus Battle. He won a ton of awards, a lot of national weekly player of the awards, and he also... Um, Player of the Week awards, excuse me. And he also is leading all active ACC players in 20-point games. Bobby, what do you got? I've been thinking all year throughout every single game, and they wrote about this earlier this year on one of the other sites, what would this team look like without Tyus Battle? And it's scary. It is a very terrifying thought to think about what this group would look like without his consistent scoring, the point guard play that he's added to the equation. I thought that was the coolest thing ever, how they've you know shared t- ball time between Howard and him this year to give the different looks. I wrote about that last week. And I, he is just the lifeblood of this program. And as he wins a word after word, he is the most ACC players of the week in a conference as Zion Williamson. And I'm... I'm thinking more and more as this season goes on, he's going to go down as one of the more important players in Syracuse basketball history with how he's lifted them up in the post-sanction days. Absolutely, yeah. We were talking a little bit earlier this season about how uh, how Tyus has become like one of the more clutch players in Syracuse basketball history, and we uh, we talked about that on the blog a little bit. Um, because of all the big shots that he's making. And then this past week, he had 30 points at Duke, or I'm sorry, two weeks ago now. He had 30 points at Duke. He had another 20-point performance against Pitt. Um, And he was just playing phenomenally. Just to list off a few awards that he got, he got the Naismith Trophy Men's Player of the Week. He got the ACC Player of the Week. The Lute Olsen Award for National Player of the Week. CollegeSportsMadness.com. Yeah, neither have I. Uh, Andy Katz player of the week and Andy Katz yeah and uh, he's he's sitting right around 1500 points for his Syracuse career could get to 2000 if he came back not that yeah, he's up in the what the top 50 I want to say in Syracuse history so I mean he's climbing that list as well and you know you look at the other parts of the game he, the draft boards still have him in the 50s at this point and I'm, I'm just like you know yeah he doesn't rebound the ball at the highest rate his assist rates aren't that ginormous defensively he's been all right this year whereas in the past he's been more of a higher level defender I look at it and say there's something to just being able to put the ball in then he's out in the left hand now he relies on that mid-ranger but he's still a solid three-point shooter I mean he was a 50 40 90 player to start this year I think he's gonna be 
a quality player in the NBA. You know, we'll see about it. We'll see what his situation is. All those things matter. But I think he has the tools to adapt to the league, whereas some guys in the past haven't with Syracuse. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's a, that's a larger conversation that we could continue having as this season goes along, and especially as it draws to a close here as Tyus battles prospects in the NBA. Of course, we're hoping that... Uh, that Tyus returns to the Syracuse this year, but uh, I guess we'll consider it a long shot for now. Um, the other news this week, the Duke game is officially a sellout. That game is happening in February. Don't know the actual date. 23rd. The 23rd. Uh, hope you have your tickets. Uh, should break the attendance record. Um, there are seats being sold on the complete opposite side of the Carrier Dome, uh, seats being sold for ridiculous prices, so hope you got them before uh, you got to hit the reset. You're going to pay, I was looking at the SeatGeek map, it's 63 to sit in the opposite corner, so that's behind all those uh, sideline seats that are set up in the back there with the scoreboard. The makeshift so, bleachers. Yeah, so you're looking at it from behind there, all the way from the corner of the Dome. It's like you're sitting in a football seat, really, and I'm wondering... What are you doing if you're over there? Are you just drinking beers and hoping to hear a few things? Because you're not seeing anything. Yeah, I saw some people on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this, Bobby. Uh, talking smack about the Carrier Dome on uh, on Twitter. And these people were saying how there isn't a good seat in the house. And that was just lazy takes there. I thought that some people were coming out uh, criticizing the Carrier Dome. But the Carrier Dome such a great venue for college basketball. I don't know what you got there. You got well, well, from my media perspective, I have a pretty good seat right behind the basket there, and I'm going to give the Dome a lot of credit because I was watching James up in the arches of Virginia Tech last night, and they don't, they don't do the media justice there. You're sitting in the sky watching the game. You can't hear anything. You can barely see things. I mean, we'll see what he thinks about that because he actually lived it. But when you're front row behind that basket, you can hear everything that's being said. You're inches from Bayheim. I'm not going to complain about that. You know, the people that are up in the sky, it might be a different story. I was up there for a concert once. Definitely not a concert venue. But for basketball, if you can pack in 35000 no one else is doing that. So at the very least, it's unique. Yeah, get that place rocking, absolutely. Uh, so I, I guess we'll head into the games now. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll start off chronologically. Two very different ones. Two very, yeah, two very different games. A tale of uh, two very different games indeed. Uh, we'll start off chronologically. We know that people will probably want to hear about the Virginia Tech game, but we'll we'll kick it off with Miami, and it doesn't have to be a long discussion here. Um, Syracuse beats Miami 73-53. to uh, Syracuse actually got off to a slow start. They were down 17-11 to at the under-12 timeout, and Miami threw a zone look out there at Syracuse, kind of similar to what Georgia Tech did, and Syracuse had trouble earlier on. Yeah, the first thing I notice is Chris Likes out there standing at 5'7". I mean, I've seen Isaiah Thomas play in the NBA, and I think he's a little bit taller than that, but it was astonishing seeing a guy that tall, and he's putting up 18 points a game in yeah. the ACC. That that team was just depleted, though, and they, they did put up a good fight early. That's kind of the things you see at the Dome is that Syracuse gets off to those slow starts. It's about whether the other team can keep up with them through the pressure that second half, and you know, fortunately, Syracuse was able to break that 70-point mark and uh, dis- discard of one of the lower teams in the ACC. It really is too bad with Miami because they were one of the more fun teams in the conference last year. Yeah. They had two NBA players in Bruce Brown and um, uh, Lonnie, Lonnie Walker. Walker yeah. Still mad about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Syracuse did beat them last year, and then they take care of business again this year. Um, what, what, what spoke out about that game to you? Yeah, so we saw uh, Buddy Beheim emerge a little bit in that game. He 
kind of he was a little bit of a saving grace there for Syracuse. Miami showed that zone look, and uh, and what was tough about that zone is that we don't really have many consistent, reliable three point shooters. And I've given uh, Buddy Beheim a little bit of grief on Twitter uh, in the past, and it was because he didn't look great with the ball, but. And his shooting also hadn't been there uh, for stretches. But Buddy Beheim comes out in this one. I think he shot four of five from three. Yeah. He had he had twelve points, um, and he really made it. He made Miami come out of that zone, uh, or at least have to respect the three point shot, which opened up things inside. So Buddy Beheim really came through for Syracuse in that one. And you know what the game said to me, of course. Virginia Tech, this all went to the trash, but after building up seven wins in eight games, which is what that Miami game did, in an offensive manner, which I was very pleased about, you get the three-point shooting, you get some quality passing to set that up, it spoke to me that this team's finally starting to differentiate itself a little bit. You have shooters in Elijah Hughes and Buddy Behan that you can mix into the equation and really shake up the offense. This offense, as tough as they are to watch at times it's still a million times better than last year and I think that's where they begin to differentiate themselves a little bit Bayheim shooting really changed that game it gave them a burst through the end of that first half Elijah Hughes picked it right up when it started in the second half with the corner threes getting out in transition for some of the looks out there he's taking a high volume of three-point looks and how reliable he has been has been one of the stories of the year for me because he just shows up on a game-in, game-out basis and gives you those double figures, which they didn't have last year. They were relying on battle to score, Howard to just force points down the other team's throat. You know, if Hughes takes what the other guys give him, and he's the third piece in that scoring equation on their good nights. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you were saying, Syracuse really closed out that first half um, on a strong note. Five of their six field goals uh, to end the first half were actually three-pointers. So Syracuse was really <laughs> heavily reliant on that three-point ball. Uh, a little bit of chucking and ducking there. That's uh, what they do. <laughs> but luckily the the shots were falling. Uh, Syracuse heads into the halftime at, with a 32-29 lead. Um, and then as Jim Beheim was saying uh, uh, in his post-game press conference, the defense really locked in in the second half. Pascal Chukwu, who was a little bit... Uh, oh, he was horrible in the first half. I mean, Beheim did not leave that to be said at all. I remember he was pointing at Sadibe four minutes in and ripping him off the bench because uh, Izundu, I think that's his name, the yeah. Miami center Ibuka there. Ibuka Izundu. Yeah, just tipping out rebound after rebound after rebound. Beheim said Chukwu just didn't jump, and it's still the story of Chukwu. What are you going to get out of him? The double-figure rebounds, five blocks, are you just going to get drop balls and scrambles on the ground? I still, this is going back a little bit, but I still can't believe the play Trey Jones got injured in that Duke game. Uh, that, the only reason that play <laughs> happened is because Chukwu just rolled a ball up from under him like a center playing football. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun, funny, uh, funny play indeed. Uh, yeah, Chukwu locked in in the second half. His defense, uh, Beheim did ultimately give him credit. Beheim said that um, his defense was what sparked Syracuse there in the second half, and it Thank, thankfully, so uh, Syracuse needed to pull away in that one, and ultimately discarded of a weaker opponent. Yeah. Syrac- this is the type of performance that Syracuse should have against so, uh, one of the bottom feeders of the ACC. Is a twenty-point win, or at least a fifteen to twenty-point. You got to cover the spread. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're looking at spreads here. Syracuse actually. Uh, so Syracuse did not cover the spread against Virginia Tech. No, Syracuse, <laughs> Syracuse going into that game was four and one in ACC play, 
against the spread. Yeah, and four and one total. So they're taking care of business in two ways every single night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll ask you about the center spot because I know you're a huge Marek Dolezal fan. You know, you've really spearheaded the movement to get him back into the starting lineup. But now he's out again, and he took one shot in that Virginia Tech game, which we'll get to in just a minute. But did you like Bayheim three, four games ago now going back to Chukwu at center? Yeah, so Syracuse couldn't play Marek Dolashai at center against Duke, and then that ended up being one of Pascal's breakout games, right? Yeah, he was huge. And so when when Dolajai broke out against Duke, or I'm sorry, Chukwu broke out against Duke, that kind of showed what he was capable of and what this team was capable of on the defensive end when it came to getting stops, uh, especially against really strong opponents, and then turning that defense around into offense. And so for those games, Syracuse was also hitting a ton of shots, and it didn't really matter that Syracuse was playing effectively four on five on the offensive end. Uh, we've come kind of become used to that. Uh, because Dolajai can offer another element to the offense. But, uh, you know, Ch- Chuku's been playing well. Syracuse had been hitting shots. And then, I mean, we keep alluding to it. We'll talk about that more in the Virginia Tech game. Uh, Chuku's lack of offensive productivity kind of became a problem there in that uh, game against the Hokies. But uh, we'll stick in here with the Miami game just for another minute. Um, Tyus Battle had nine assists, and you wrote an article, Bobby. Uh, you wrote about how Tyus Battle and Frank Howard have been sharing the point guard duties. What's your What's your take on that? Yeah, in that game in particular, he did post his highest career assist total, but it did sort of come more within the flow of the offense. The Pittsburgh win, which was a nice solid win against a team that's established itself in the middle of the conference this year, he was playing point and setting up nice plays, communicating with Howard. They sort of had this back-and-forth talk on the court about what direction the ball was going to be flowing in. They had Dolajan in the court for a lot of those sets, so they had multiple layers of ball handling. And I thought the ball just flowed so smoothly in that game in particular. And they did have stretches in the Miami game, too, where they were able to work the ball inside and out and get a lot of the three-point shooting that they did. That's another thing that sticks out to me about this team is that they're able to get that ball flowing so much more than they did last year. You don't see it getting stuck on the perimeter as much. You don't see those swings around the perimeter and isolation plays. You still do, but not as high as a level. They're starting to break into this flow more and more often, and I think such a huge part of that in basketball is to have multiple guys who can make those plays on the ball, and they've taken the pressure off Howard too, and I think Howard's looked better over the last couple of weeks, even in the Virginia Tech loss, he had a decent shooting game with 33% from three, high and above where he was when he first got back from that injury. Right, and I, I don't mean to be a conspiracy theorist here, and um, sorry if you, if you take it like I am, don't know what to tell you, but is there a chance, hear me out here, that Ty's battle went to Jim Beheim and said, hey, coach, I'm trying to improve my draft stock here. I want to show <laughs> I want to show that I can distribute the ball. Now, I'm half-joking here, but I want to show that I can distribute the ball and I can take care of the ball. I can initiate offense. And that Jim Beheim and I drew up this theory in my head, that Jim Beheim said, you know what, Tyus? Sure, we'll give you that shot. And that's when we saw Jalen Carey take a little bit of a back seat. Tyus Battle's playing a little bit more point guard. And... Jim Beheim gives him a little bit of a leash, says, hey, Tyus, if you're taking anything away from our team, from our offense, we're, we're scrapping this. You're going to go back to playing off the ball. <laughs> but Tyus had been playing well at the point guard spot. He was distributing a little bit, as you said, communicating in the pick game. 
uh, he was making things happen for other players, and yeah, that wasn't. Yeah. There was one great play where he had a smooth pick and roll to Chukwu, like the cleanest pick and roll ever in the Pittsburgh game. Yeah, and you never see that. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly, man. And so Tyus hadn't been known as much of a distributor, and all of a sudden he's coming out, handling the ball a little bit more, finding players, uh, helping his teammates out. And so I kind of just drew up this scenario into my head, and you know what? It's probably pretty far fetched, but it was just something to think about. Like maybe this is an element of Tyus's game that he's trying to help himself out with. In terms of draft stock and in terms of his excuse me, NBA marketability. You know, that's a great conspiracy, but I, I have the true story right here of what actually happened. Every point guard on the roster got hurt, which when you have three point guards is unbelievable to think about. He got <laughs> pressed into that action in the preseason and looked good doing it against two preseason teams for what that is. And so then Carey comes into play. I don't think Jim Beheim has liked how Carey has played with Especially some of the shots Duke. he's taken. and <laughs> Yeah. Then it's too bad because he had those two 20-point games in New York. And since then, Beheim has just been on top of him about every mistake, the shot selection, how he's handled the ball, how he's paced the offense. You go back through some of these Jim Beheim press conferences throughout the year, and he is just hammering Carey. And, you know, he's in that doghouse right now. He's trying to get out, but he is unsuccessful in doing so. There was talk after the Pittsburgh game about, you know, his buddy Beheim circumvented him on the roster. They don't really play the same position, no. the same role on this team. And that's actually where that story I wrote ended up getting spawned from. You know, they had Beheim in there because Battle can handle that point guard spot. And that ended up being the story of that. Uh, Carey is just stuck on this roster right now. You wonder if he's going to get out at all this year. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a little upsetting to see, uh, especially after Jalen Carey's strong games earlier this season, uh, as you mentioned, um, that he's become he's turned into such a reserved role that he's even having trouble getting onto the court. Yeah, um, who could have imagined that? I mean, we had people saying before the season, is he going to like take Frank's spot this year? And it's not even close. <laughs> people love to hate on Frank, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, so O'Shea Brissett had a tough night. Uh, I saw some people... Tough season. Yeah, tough season so far. Yeah, you're right. I saw some people on on the tweets um, discussing, and in, in the Noons Magician comments section, uh, which we know can be a little bit of a... It's a place for intellect. Yeah. <laughs> so Brissett had a rough night, and I went back and I took a look at the film, and I actually I posted a little Twitter thread about this. Um, I, I saw what Brissett was doing, and he's getting to the basket, and I think that part of what he's doing, and it might be a little bit in his head, it might be... Um, it might just be that he had some bad luck, you know? What is, what is the sample size of one game, after all, right? But he is double clutching a little bit on his attempts at the rim, almost anticipating contact. Uh, Instead of just going up strong and reacting to contact, instead he's going up and like double pumping, and then he ends up just throwing it at the rim. He's leaving a lot of them short. Um, And so part of the problem here is that he's not finishing on his drives. He's getting to the basket and then not finishing. And he's so good at getting there that he could be an element of Syracuse's offense to face up an opponent and just get Syracuse a bucket, like a tough bucket in the paint. Um, And against against Miami, uh, 
albeit it wasn't his style of play, the zone kind of threw him off a little bit. I don't know. You got anything to say about Brissett? So here's the thing about Brissett. He has had a shift into that power forward role this year, whereas he was playing the wing more last year, taking more three-point shots, playing face-up a lot more. Now he's sort of jamming in with some bigger opponents that are covering him on that defensive end. You know, we really don't think of positions because this is a zone team defensively, but when teams are manning you up on the other end, you know, what position you're playing is going to matter as yeah. far as what matchup you're going to get. He's seeing those power forwards right now. Yeah. You're right. So he's, he's banging physically with these guys trying to get into the rim early in the season he was trying to work that three-point shot and it looked so good in the preseason he had a monster preseason so we think you know this guy's going to take that sophomore leap instead it's been the sophomore slump because that three-point shot fell out of play early all of a sudden you see him starting to go downhill more often and it worked for a stretch he had a stretched toward the end of non-conference where he was getting downhill toward the basket and I was liking how he was playing during that stretch but now he's hitting a wall and like you talked about right there it's it's all about where he's shooting from you know the up fakes sometimes he's off balance it looks like he's playing volleyball because when he gets his own rebound off some of those weird first shots He's able to establish himself. He dunks it. He puts it up with ease. And even when he's putting in the putbacks, he looks so in control under there. But when he's actually setting himself up on the dribble, uh, on the drive, a lot of it's off balance. A lot of it's trying to draw contact. A lot of it's just unnatural. And that's why we've seen him struggling so much throughout the story of ACC play. It's been him not being able to finish inside, which for a body like him, for a finisher like him, some of the dunks you see him have is just frustrating to see sometimes yeah absolutely uh and i mean he had a nice little nicer performance against the uh or in the virginia tech game let's and, get to that virginia tech game. yeah let's That's talk what the people want yeah let's talk about it uh <laughs> do we want to talk about it though uh virginia tech throttles syracuse 78 to 56 is that score right man that score's right um yeah I'm not mad about it anymore. Let's just talk about <laughs> let's talk about feelings real fast. I'm not mad about it anymore. Uh, I was mad. There was a point. I was I was pretty frustrated. Uh, with about five minutes left, I was able to you know say you know what we're moving on. The margin of this victory and loss doesn't matter. Did you did you make it through the whole game? I did make it through the whole oh, game. Oh God. <laughs> uh, so I made it through the whole game and I sucked it up and I said you know what, bad loss. Virginia Tech shot the lights out. They came ready to play. They gave it to Syracuse. They attacked us like they needed to. They were the better team, and that was just that. It happens. Those games happen. You just got to swallow this pill, and we're moving on. We got two winnable opponents coming up next. We'll get to that more later, too. Uh, Two winnable opponents coming up next. Let's just forget about this one, put this one in the past, throw out the game film. It's over. We're moving on. How do you feel about the game? <laughs> That's pretty fair analysis for 22. Uh, a game they did not cover, by the way, as we said. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because they kept Alexander off the score sheet for the most part. 0-6, I think he was in the game. Uh, I'm not thrilled about the defense. It broke down at times. The Virginia Tech passing was phenomenal. And they looked like a team that studied the zone, who came in and knew what they had to do against it. They were getting into that high post area, which, as we know, is so important against playing that zone. And then they were able to kick it back out for the secondary passes. So their passing was brilliant from the get-go. Robinson is so good. He is a phenomenal <laughs> player. One of those no-look passes he had back door right by Sadibe's head just com- caught the whole five 2-3 zone off guard. 
they knew what they had to do and they just took it to Syracuse in the beginning and it's again that story of you never know what you're going to get from this Orange team because last year in this matchup at the Dome I said all right this team has shooters wings passers all over the court the Syracuse is going to get destroyed and then Syracuse came out and destroyed them with a good defensive performance. And then today it's completely the opposite. I've seen them building the offense up. I said that, you know, they could maybe hang with this team. He had 35 points. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy, man. So I thought they could hang with this team, and they could not from the early minutes. They had one good 10-point stretch out of half that they were able to get within 10, 9 points. And that was that for the whole game. I mean, the Hokies just completely controlled the pace of this game completely shut out Syracuse's offense you had some interesting thoughts about Elijah Hughes too who actually had I thought his first bad game all season yeah so talking about Elijah Hughes a little bit here uh now I want to be careful with how I phrase this because I'm not saying that Elijah Hughes is figured out however it sure looked like Virginia Tech scouted Hughes real well uh, heading into this game now if you looked at how they were playing Hughes who didn't have a great game uh, I, I got a stat line right here. His st- he shot he had six points, four rebounds, but he also turned it over four times. Yeah. Virginia Tech was selling out hands up on his three point shot, his catch and shoot three point shot, and then they were making him put it on the ground, um, and which we never like to see. And we don't like to see that. Uh, and not only were they making him put it on the ground, but they were overplaying his right hand. And it must have been something, I haven't noticed this so far this season, but it must have been something Virginia Tech had noticed, was that he's not as strong with his left hand as he is his right hand. He doesn't go left or uh, confidently dribble towards his left-hand side. And so Virginia Tech did a great job of overplaying him, forcing him into uncomfortable situations, and that ultimately resulted in his four turnovers and two of 13 shooting. Uh, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I didn't see a whole lot of the game, but the turnovers, I know I know exactly the kind of plays that those come on for him. When he's forced to put the ball on the floor, start moving downhill in the basket, or even making plays, that can be an area that's a struggle for him. He's so good at playing off the other guys when he can just spot up and shoot. And that's the Virginia Tech defense, pressure, pressing. Uh, they really make you force the issue when you get the ball. There's not going to be a lot of space and comfort playing against this team, especially in that building. One of, one of the better buildings in the ACC, I think, from what I saw last night. Uh, it was a very tough environment on the court, in the crowd, and Syracuse yeah. folded against that pressure. The turnovers killed them, and that started and ended with Hughes. I will say, on a night like 3-10 of for battle, what do you think they were able to do to hold him off? He's been scoring 30 points, player of the week of late. Um, he has had slow starts recently in the Pittsburgh game, in the Miami game, but then he shoots out for the second half, but they held him down all game long. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that uh, building and the energy, man. Um, so Buzz Williams, obviously one of the more energetic coaches, you know, he injected that energy into his players who in, uh, injected that energy into the crowd, and man, that environment became a tough place to play. And like you're saying with battle, um, yeah, the Syracuse guards in the first half, and this was something that really frustrated me. Uh, you have your two senior, well, Tyus isn't a senior, but you have your two leaders on your team in Frank Howard and Tyus Battle, and neither of them were able to effectively respond to the pressure that Virginia Tech was applying. Yeah. And so once your team starts, you know, reeling a little bit uh, from this pressure, Tyus and Frank couldn't right the ship for the team in the first half, and that resulted in Syracuse going down by 19 points at halftime. They never 
fully uh, controlled the pace, controlled the game, held the ball. The offense looked out of sync. Um, and not only that, but while Syracuse wasn't having, uh, or while Syracuse was having a really difficult time scoring on the offensive end, Virginia Tech was torching the zone. And once, when you have a team that is just scoring bucket after bucket and you can't get anything going on the offensive end, there is no coming back from that. Yeah, when you go down 20, there's really not a great chance to come. I don't want to be DeAndre Ayton saying when you go down early, you're not coming back, as he did <laughs> earlier this year. But, you know, it's a tough position to be in, especially when your offense struggles. When you go down by that much, you're going to start pressing, and then that's an issue for the Orange in general. When they start pressing, their offense looks horrific. You know, they need to play with the lead. They need to play with some comfort and flow. And they weren't able to get out of the 60-point range in this game, which shows, you know, you build that deficit for yourself, it's going to just further compound your offensive issues. Um, I don't want to overreact to this loss, as you did neither, because, you know, the team said it, and we know it ourselves. The ACC is ridiculous, and this team has lost two games itself in ACC play. So they're both in the same boat right now, even though, you know, they've done it to Virginia and um, UNC. North Carolina <laughs> yeah. rather than Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Uh, but you're always going to run into a challenge in this conference, especially in these road games. And I've liked Syracuse's poise on the road so far. I'm just wondering, my last question out of this game, would you have gone to carry for a little bit longer than they did? Oh, yeah. So you know what? That that draws up an interesting point. So Kerry came into the game, right, and he subbed out Elijah Hughes, who had been struggling. And it was pretty clear that Hughes had been struggling in the first half. Uh, but what I saw was that they subbed in Kerry, but then he started playing off the ball. Frank and Tyus were still bringing it up the floor, which I have no problem with. But if you're going to sub in Jalen Carey, what is he coming in for if he's playing off the ball? He's yeah. just he's at this point in his career, and this is no knock on him because he's a freshman, you know, trying to get used to the college speed, the college game style. But right now, he, all he is is a ball dominant facilitator. And I mean, yes, he could score one on one against. Good defense, yeah, too. Yeah, you don't see what the use for him is off the ball. Right, off the ball. And so they sub him out for Hughes, and he's playing off the ball. And so I get taking out Hughes there for a minute, give him, giving him a breather, but Kerry got some extended run there in the first half, and it was pretty, pretty curious to me, like, get Hughes his breather and then get him back out on the floor. Syracuse isn't winning this game with the way Virginia Tech was playing off, and Syracuse isn't winning this game without Elijah Hughes knocking down some three-pointers. And then you leave out Elijah Hughes on the bench for a while. He doesn't come in until about a minute or two left in the half. He never got a rhythm. And not saying that maybe he wouldn't have found his rhythm, but you got to give him a chance. He's Syracuse's best scorer. Especially in a game like that where things aren't working on the forefront. you got to go to plan B. And this guy has to be utilized in some way. He's a talented player. He can handle the ball. He can finish. He can rebound. He can shoot here or there. We just haven't seen a lot of them this year, and you can't leave cards on the t- uh, uh, off the table in a game like this where the first plan isn't working, you go down by 20, you're going to need something else to work. That's funny. Did you hear uh, in the press conference following the game, <laughs> someone asked Jim Beheim, he goes, uh, hey, Jim, did you did you keep anything back here? Was there anything you didn't roll out? <laughs> Jim Beheim just laughed at the I question. I like that question. He goes, he goes, what do you think, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm saving it for later. <laughs> Uh, Jim, Jim's great in his press conferences, and if you got, if you don't watch him on YouTube following the games, uh, you definitely need to. James Zuba will great question. James Zuba will post the uh, post some on his YouTube channel. Syracuse basketball also posts it posts it on theirs. Um, but breaking down the second half, we'll talk. We'll take this snapshot right here. The snapshot, the silver lining, if you will, um, where Syracuse 
had that 11-0 run to open the half. And so what I saw there, uh, to revisit that Frank Howard and Ty's battle conversation, where they weren't stepping up in the first half, they really stepped it up there in that 11-0 stretch. And so they're, they're taking control of the ball, initiating the offense, and the whole team benefited as a result. Yeah, and I saw a lot of downhill action there, too. They were penetrating to the interior. Brissett had a nice finish inside, spinning inside during that stretch. And that's what they needed. They needed to open up the floor somehow for themselves and give themselves an outlet for offense. And that starts on the interior. If you're just chucking up shots, you know, you might hit one here or there, but it's not a reliable way to get back into the game. You need to set a baseline for yourself to start getting back into it and they did with free throws there was a flagrant foul in there somewhere that was pretty important and uh, they they gave themselves a chance at that point it's just when you're down 20 it's so hard to keep that momentum rolling on the road yeah for sure so Syracuse did cut the lead to eight and in that stretch we also saw Syracuse you know step up on the defensive end a little bit where Virginia Tech was swinging the ball left to right getting it inside kicking it back out for open three after open three gosh that was frustrating Mm -hmm. man um but during that stretch and I remember one possession in particular Syracuse was closing out effectively on every rotation like Virginia Tech would try to swing past it Syracuse would be there they would try to skip past it Syracuse would be there closing out and the defense was running around like madmen but they were doing a great job taking away the three-point shots and that was such a key there um but ultimately I mean outside of those five minutes or so uh Virginia Tech was just you know moving Syracuse around how they, however they wanted to. It was on brilliant the, ball movement. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Yeah, credit credit Buzz Williams and his team. Like, they were ready. I mean, we can have that conversation about how much uh, time they had to prepare versus how much time Syracuse had to prepare. Oh, yeah. But uh, they were ready to play. They had the zone figured out from the get-go. Justin Robinson was an animal out there, uh, not only – Uh, with his scoring, but he was in the face of our guards on the defensive end. He was talking a little smack, I saw. Um, I think the announcers mentioned that him and Frank Howard played on the same AAU circuit, so maybe a little history there. Um, Yeah, just... uh, just, It was a good game by Virginia Tech. Like, you got to give them credit. And again, on the scheduling, this is part of a three-game road trip. Only three teams in the ACC have that, so Syracuse didn't get helped out with that as they go to... BC on Wednesday at 8, and then they're on to Pittsburgh again on next Saturday. So this whole week they're going to be off campus. Right. And so you're talking um, the scheduling. And so Virginia Tech played on Monday, big Monday against UNC, where they got blown out by 20 points. (laughs) But then they had a full five days to prepare for Syracuse. Um, and Jim Behan talked about this in his post-game pre- press conference as well. Syracuse played on Thursday. Oh, had... that was a tough turnaround. Yeah, yeah. right? And Syracuse plays on Thursday? Was it Thursday? Or yeah, was it... and then uh, they topped on the plane on Friday afternoon. And so they're in Virginia. They kind of had the James Zuba trip themselves. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so so they, they were in uh, Virginia that Friday. You know, you sleep there that night, and then you're hopping into the game the next night. So, you know, you kind of have 24 hours there, but it's tight. Not a lot of preparation time coming off Miami. Yeah, yeah. A um, couple more storylines from this game. Uh, yeah, it, it, slow defensive rotations. We kind of got into that a little bit. Um, Lester Marietta in the Noons Magician comment section, he actually commented on one of my articles to you know expand upon one of the points that I had made. And he said that uh, Syracuse was collapsing a little bit too much when the ball got inside the zone. 
um, rather than staying out on the three-pointers and relying on Chukwu or Sidibe, um, who played the majority of the games at center, rather than letting them guard the basket for them and staying out on the shooters, they were collapsing, and it was pitch-out, shot. Yeah. Over and over. And that's where you're going to get killed on the corners is when the defense collapses like that, which was interesting because that's how you beat Duke, as Duke missed every three-pointer. Right. <laughs> but Virginia Tech just has so many shooters. Not the f- with Robinson that that's not going to work in this matchup. And it just shows how diverse the ACC is. How You know, it's kind of cliche. They talk about how great the ACC is up and down. But you have a team like this that can space out the floor and move the ball. You have a team like Duke that just overpowers you on the interior with top-end talent. And then you have a team like Georgia Tech that, you know, Syracuse hasn't been the only one to struggle against them at, to this point. You know, Virginia Tech went by three against them. They almost beat Duke over the weekend. That team's tough in their own right with their defense and the rotations and the mixed looks that they throw out there. So every single opponent you're facing here is going to give you a little bit something different. And it's so interesting. It gives you a chance to pad your resume a little bit if you're able to take advantage of it. And it's fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. Virginia Tech, third best three-point shooting team in the country yeah, by they, percentage. They're prolific. Coming into this game. And then you combine that with their ball movement, man. Uh Syracuse might not on Syracuse's best offensive night. Syracuse might not have kept up with Virginia Tech uh, last night. Um, so O'Shea uh, O'Shea Brissett bounced back a little bit. He had 16 points and seven rebounds. Yep. And decent game. My my takeaway here: this was a game style that suited Brissett. Mm-hmm. He was able to face up defenders. You know. J- Catch inside. Smaller team. Yeah. yeah, smaller team. Catch up. Catch the ball inside the two, uh, three-point line and just go right at his defenders. It was a little more physical style, and he was playing aggressively. It was good to see. Sixteen points again, seven rebounds. Good performance. My question about last night: Where was Marek Dolajai? <laughs> I saw him for a little bit. One shot, though. You don't like to see that, and he doesn't take a lot of shots per game, uh, but. You do want to see him out there a little bit just to settle down the offense because we know what his best attribute is. It's that secondary passing. It's the secondary ball handling. And I think with the minutes that he was out there, he was just left kind of running back and forth in the transition game a little bit too much. The game sped way above where Syracuse wanted to be played at. Right. And, yeah, my my problem there was Virginia Tech was throwing all this ball pressure at – Syracuse, yeah, and, and that gets the game going. And then we were playing four on five on the offensive end, rather than throwing Dolajai in there, um, who is another capable player with the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. We need that fifth player against a team that applies such heavy ball pressure, especially when we're struggling. Yeah, I think that's a good second guess. And I didn't like Carey you not know, playing as much as you know the started to hit the fan there. You got to kind of go down your secondary options, your bench. Buddy Behan didn't play a lot in this game either, in a game where you could have used some offense. So interesting how he relied on those five starters for 35 minutes or so up and down the board there. But you know, nothing worked. Virginia Tech played a game so prolific that I don't think too many adjustments would have helped them too much there to at least win in that sense. Right. Um, let's go on to what's going on the rest of the week get into this team's um, resume a little yeah. bit at this point because that could have been you know a, a March sealer there, another win over a top-10 team. They missed that opportunity. There'll be more to come. But, you know, you're not playing Virginia Tech these next two games, but you are playing two teams that could beat you. Yeah, for sure. And Boston College uh, actually riding two straight victories, one on their home floor against Florida State, and they also maybe at home against Wake Forest. And and Kai Bowman is going to be a first-round pick. Kai Bowman is the truth, man. Um, And so a place 
so we're going again to Virginia Tech. I mean, I'm to Boston College. Yeah. Somewhere that Syracuse has struggled recently. Yeah, even though it's not a very overwhelming atmosphere, it's a hockey stadium first and foremost. Yeah. The, the team's good. That's what it is. You know, you have pick and roll guys who can finish there. Um, and Popovic and um, St- Stefan Mitchell, I believe his name is. So two decent big men who have stepped up for them. Uh, they are a tough team. You know, they don't have Jerome Robinson. If they had him, forget about it. Syracuse is probably <laughs> losing this game. But <laughs> Kai Bowman has stepped up. He's double-digit points every night. He's double-digit rebounds. He's one of the best shot blockers for his size in the country, as I was looking into that with Elijah Hughes. And he defends at a high rate, too. That guy is just so much fun to watch. Yeah, so we'll be breaking down uh, that game a little bit more in depth uh, later this week. We'll throw a podcast up there. We try to get, like, these 10, you know, 12-minute podcasts out there where I'll be previewing the games. Maybe, Bobby, you can get in on a couple of these if you got time yourself. Um, Try to loosen them up a little bit and uh, break down uh, what we're expecting to see from Boston College and Pittsburgh later on in the week. Yeah, and we've seen Pittsburgh, so you know what you're expecting there a little bit. Right, so the Pete isn't an easy place to play uh, if they're getting up for it. And Pitt just sold out their game against Duke. Uh, so Pitt, we go to Pitt on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, Saturday game, it's on ESPN2, oh, uh, nighttime game. Um, I kind of expect Pitt to, you know, bring a, bring a crowd. What do you think? I don't know what kind of crowd they're bringing, but their their team's so much better this year, and it's so different, too, when I went to that game last week. You know, Wilson Frames is back. Who's a, who's a solid player coming back from last year, but everybody else is different. You know, they, they have nice balance on both ends of the floor. The defense is solid for them. The offense isn't, nothing, isn't anything to write home about, but I look at them and I say, you know, last year they couldn't win an ACC game. This year, I think they're the most average team in the conference, which, you know, it sounds like an insult, but after you don't win a game, that's a big step up. For so, sure. You know, shout out to what they've done there. Yeah, definitely. That quick turnaround, Je- Jeff Capel deserves a lot of credit, right? He he really, you know, just established his culture right away. And uh, and I, from what I'm reading, uh, Pittsburgh, the community and the uh, the fans are really rallying around that. Yeah, uh, and they needed to get players in there quickly with all the players who left after their last coach's exodus. It was really could have been a disaster scenario there. In fact, I think Miami's going through what they went through with uh, Hernandez being in- ineligible to play and. They lost NBA talent, and they had zero recruits. Yeah. So, like, yeah, that's you tough. know, that should have been what pit happened to Pittsburgh, and instead it happened to Miami, and Miami's probably going to finish last in the conference because of it. Pittsburgh, maybe an NIT team this year. Yeah. That would so be a huge step for them. They're coming, they're coming off three straight losses. They actually play at Clemson on Tuesday. Uh, so it could be four straight losses before they uh, play us. Yeah, at that's home, tough. <laughs> um, that's it, that's tough. But that's the ACC. That's yeah. not that's not really an indictment on what they they have put together. They're twelve and eight this season. They, they do f- they do have a marquee win too in non conference. If I can remember, it was uh, you know Florida State actually was the marquee win, and they competed well in non conference with um, West Virginia and some other challenging teams. Iowa, yeah. So they're better. Yeah, I, I don't think their team Syracuse should lose to. We'll probably be panicking a little bit if that happens. But you know. I'm feeling good about what they've got going so far. I, I think this team's still on course to make March Madness. I think they've started to differentiate themselves a little bit from last year's team, Syracuse this is, and we'll see what they're made of in two more road games. No no road win's going to be a bad win. So keep taking care of business, and 
We'll talk to right. the people again next week, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, as you were saying, Syracuse actually has the eighth toughest heading into this Virginia Tech game, or before the Virginia Tech game, that is. Uh, Syracuse had the eighth toughest schedule remaining, and so these wins are going to be wins that we are going to need to pick up because then we have we face the likes of Duke, we face the likes of Virginia, UNC. Yeah, that's UNC. Schedule, then, a monster. Yeah, so it's going to be pretty brutal down the stretch. Syracuse is going to need these games, so make sure you're staying tuned. Uh, following the blog, at Noons Magician on Twitter, following myself and Bobby. I'm at Defines31 on Twitter. Bobby? At Real Bob Manning. At Real Bob Manning. Uh, we'll have articles coming up this week at, on, uh, on the Noons Magician blog. We'll be talking... Um, Breaking down the games for you guys, previewing the games. You got anything else, Bobby? Nothing. Nada. We're on to BC. On to BC. All right, thanks for tuning in, guys, and let's go on. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.